Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore. We are all lifelong learners, and nowhere is this more relevant than in the practice of leadership. Our goal is continual learning and improvement. Let's get after it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with MK Palmore, uh, the podcast where we try as best we can to bring in really fascinating guests so that we can have deep and rich conversations about leadership, the discipline of leadership and all that's involved in sort of developing yourself as a leader in today's industry. Today I'm joined by Amber Vilhauer, who is the CEO and founder of NGNG Enterprises. She's also an author. Uh, and a uh, former sales leader. We're going to get into a ton of conversations about her background. But uh, Amber, welcome to the show. Really great having you on and uh, looking forward to this conversation. Me as well. I was introduced to MK through a mutual colleague. And from minute one, I really appreciated MK what you value and how you really want to have deep and rich conversations because we live in a world where there's so much surface. And I think people are on autopilot in some ways, just trying to cope with everything that's going on. But man, I knew you were my people. So I am, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Awesome. I really appreciate that. And I, and I do really feel that um, these conversations around leadership are really important ones. I feel like sometimes we've, as a society, we've lost sight of the importance of leadership and the role that we all individually play and collectively play uh, in terms of developing our leadership skills and then developing other leaders around us, right? We all, especially those of us with deep experience, have a responsibility to do that. So um, for uh, our audience, Amber, can you talk a little bit about um, what your background has been professionally? And we're going to dive very deeply, I think, into the agency that you started, but like where you got your start and uh, um, how you've come to the position of uh, founder and CEO of NGNG Enterprises. Sure. Thank you. Well, NGNG was founded in 2007, so I've been doing this for quite a while, and it started um, with branding and web design, moved into an array of digital marketing services, moved into book launches, actually, which is the thing that I think I'm probably best known for, which was market-led. That was not my my personal decision. But overall, just so everybody understands what I really do is I build healthy and profitable businesses online, usually more so personal brands, not limited to that. I have a lot of clients who have like a big wealth management firm, for example, and they think that by turning the CEO into a personal brand as a thought leader and influencer, that's going to drive more business and value into the business. So my brain thinks in strategy, MK, that's really where you want me is strategizing your whole business plan and also really keeping leaders aligned. That's a very big thing for me. A lot of times when I'm talking to CEOs or authors or speakers, they are out of alignment and they don't even know it. And so I might see that they think they have this idea that they want to create a course because they were told that they should by some other internet marketing person. Yet what I'm seeing when I look at this person is they have no business creating a course because they would be miserable and maintaining it and doing customer support for it and all of that. 
that is well suited for some people, but not others. So I kind of feel this protective instinct over my clients and making sure they're in alignment. The business operation is harmonious so that the whole thing can be, you know, profitable and fulfilling and have the right impact. But that's just what I've been doing for the past 15 years. I know you asked for my start, so I will end by saying my start. <laughs> um, you know, I kind of like my story, MK, and that if people go online right now and they look up Amber Vilhauer, they're going to see this really energetic, you know, smiley, happy person. And that is genuine, but that is not who I was the first, you know, 17, 18, 19 years of my life. I was in my sister's shadow. I was always kind of like the one that didn't talk. I was an observer. And so I didn't have friends growing up. In fact, I was bullied a lot in high school and um, it was very painful for me. I didn't really know that I had a place in the world. And it took this rock bottom experience when I was 16 to really kind of shake myself free of that landscape, if you will. I started making different decisions and by the time I was just starting college, I got this job that I never, I never saw this coming. Not ever. I'd worked in restaurants up to that point, but I saw this was back when I was looking at the newspaper for a job. Okay. To age me a little bit. And there was this ad to sell Cutco cutlery, high-end kitchen knives. Now, what, what business does an insecure, like, girl who has no communication skills or friends have any business selling knives, right? I don't know. I still, it's a funny story to this day. I don't know. I trusted my instincts. I got the job. I ended up being one of the top sales reps in my office right out of the gates, ended up going into management, breaking national records, got invited up to help run a division that ended up being one of the most successful divisions in the entire company as like a young 20 something. Five years into the company, I felt like I had gotten the most I could out of that experience. So I found myself just as a stepping stone running this event um, that these other two hosts were putting on. I was just like the event planner for it. And it was teaching people how to get capital into their business and how to market online. I didn't know anything about the online world. This was 2006. But when I saw the potential for it, I thought, now that looks fun. That looks like a challenge. So I taught myself code. I built my own website. This one, I started blogging about the things that I was learning about. This woman from Canada reaches out and says, I heard about you on Google. Could you manage my website? And I thought, me? I don't know anything about business, literally nothing. And I said, okay, sure. I'll help you with your website. And then one thing led to another. A friend said, you should probably file an LLC. And I said, what's that? Where do you do that? That's how little I knew about business, MK. Yeah. And I thought, business name, business name. This feels important, even though I don't want to have a business and I don't even feel like I have a business right now. But my mom came to mind. And as a kid, she always used to say, no guts, no glory. So NGNG was born. And here we sit all these years later. Uh, on your podcast, yeah. and I'm delighted to share that story with you. Thanks, thanks for letting me share. Yeah. It. <laughs> Running a successful enterprise. I want to I want to dive into something you mentioned a little earlier about uh, leaders sort of misidentifying. You didn't describe it this way, but I think what you're saying is sort of misidentifying their brand, so sort of not really understanding how to be in alignment with what they are. Talk talk a little bit about how important that is, and and why do you think 
leaders maybe miss the mark on that sometime. Like they don't understand who they are as leaders. Well, I mean, you're just tapping into, I don't know that people really know who they are in general, right? right? Like we might think we have some idea of who we are, but we're constantly evolving and changing. Um, and I think that we live in a lot of avoidance. You know, we, do, we don't want to see certain things. We don't want to admit that we're in a relationship that isn't good for us, or we don't want to admit that maybe this job isn't well suited for us because we have these like coping mechanisms and we're just doing the best that we can based on the, you know, the pieces in the equation at the present moment. So it is a lot to ask of somebody to like really do the inner work. And I think leaders are sort of forced into that because if you're not doing the inner work, you will find that you are not a great leader. Yeah, you won't be successful. <laughs> and how yeah. will you discover that? Your team will tell you, the people around you will tell you, you will find that every day is miserable and full of challenge, right? That's an indicator that you've got to do some, some work. And, um, you know, I would say that when it comes to my, my business specifically, MK, when I first meet somebody and they come in, they say, I want to launch a book or I want to grow my business another million dollars next year, whatever the thing is that they want. My series of questions are usually, what's your why? Why? Why do you care about any of this? Which really exposes some interesting responses because oftentimes they've picked some sort of aloof goal and it's, it's actually, there is no why behind yeah. it. And that peels back the onion even further. But I ask them their why. I ask them, what are your core values? That's so important to know that on a personal level, what, what are your core values? I want to know who's the person they really want to work with most. You'd be shocked how many people are all over the board with that. They have no idea. And then I asked them what their vision is. Those four things, that's all I need to know. And I know how to keep you in alignment forevermore. And it, then I can look at their marketing. I can look at their team. I can look at their monetization model or whatever it is. And I can quickly see exactly where they're out of alignment, lovingly show them that. So they feel like it was their idea. And now they're back in alignment and everything is harmonious, like magic. And they, they think, how did that happen? You were in alignment. <laughs> so that, that, that's a pretty amazing, uh, amazing process. Uh, how do folks um, who are in need of this help, how do they find you? Like how, how, uh, how are you marketing the business? Is it all referrals or do people come to you and say, hey, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm a great leader. Or I feel like I'm a great author in this space. And just all of a sudden, I, I just don't. I don't know how to get to the next level. What's, what's the sort of the normal thing. I've always been kind of an organic referral based business. Um, I really don't feel like I've ever had to market. I think that if you are in alignment yourself and you show up fully self-expressed, you're not trying to be something you're not. Um, and you just are consistent in getting that word out through an interview like this or on social media or in videos or at conferences or just in talking to people out in your community, right? You have to stay consistent with that self-expression. The rest just takes care of itself. It really is a pretty magical process. So the right people do tend to come in. Um, I think it's, it's hard not to have so much referral business after 15 years, assuming that you have like a good service, <laughs> you know, cause you've just worked with enough people that continue that, that word for you. Some just natural Google traffic, 
but really I just let it sort of do marketing kind of do its own thing. And I trust that the right people coming in are coming in because I know that somehow through either filters that I've put up or the customer journey or the words I've used on my website or in marketing, the right people just come in. So there's some filter that occurs. And I have a sense of that, of course, but there is a bit of mystery to it as well. And when I see somebody has booked an appointment on my calendar, MK, I already know it's a qualified fit. I, I just know now. And I know that person is going to be kind. And I know that person's going to be serious because that's those are my qualifiers. <laughs> Other than that, I talk to brand new startups that have no idea what they're doing. And I've talked to very successful, well-established businesses and everything in between. But I find that a common denominator, it's usually somebody who feels like they're on the brink. There's this pent up energy. There's probably a little bit of frustration, a little bit of chaos or depression or lack of confidence. And they have this vision, they believe in it. They believe in themselves to a point maybe, and they're not sure why it's not working. Like, what do I need to do to just get over this speed bump? And that's when they find me. Um, and usually it's through the entry door of book launch, which is again, I, I, I didn't try to have that happen. Yeah. That just sort of happened on its own, but perhaps it's because authors want to make a change in the world. So they're serious and they have all of these mindset issues as they're launching their book. I don't know, but regardless, once they come in, I know how to release that frustration, get them in alignment, get them to see results quickly. And then after that, they just take off. And it's really cool. So you see, really fulfilling. That sounds awesome. You you seem to have a very clear vision of uh, how it is that you operate, but I'm sure it wasn't like that in the beginning. Um, how do you develop? How do you develop the team that that currently uh, works with you? And like, how do you think about team development? Uh, being a founder and running your own uh, running your own uh, boutique firm. Yeah. Well, it wasn't like that in the very beginning, but I was, I just said yes all the time because I didn't know what I didn't know. So when somebody said, Hey, can you do this? Can you do that? I just said yes. And then I would research it. I would find a way to learn it and be successful at it. And then that helped me to develop my craft with it. Um, so I'm very much the person who learned by trial and error MK in team and in every way, because I didn't go to business school. Right. But at the foundation of everything, who I am is somebody that wants to take care of other people. Like I'm a lover of people. I'm a relationships person. And so when it came time to hire a team, I needed a designer and I needed a developer. And I just remember at that time, you know, they would ask me, well, what are you paying? And how often do you pay? And what are the hours? And I'm like, I don't know, just do your part. I'll do mine and we both win. <laughs> Um, but I knew some things were important. Like I decided right out of the gates, I want to pay my team every single week. I don't want them to have to wait two weeks for a paycheck, even though it will actually cost me more right. to pay them every week. I still pay them every week. Why? Because it's fun getting a paycheck and I, I delight in paying them and watching them have fun. So it's like win, win, right? I mean, I treat other people the way that I would want to be treated. And so I would want to have freedom in my job. I don't want somebody micromanaging me and putting me in a box and threatening me and yelling at me and gosh, talk about stifling your creativity. So instead I treat my team like adults. Yeah. Like, huh, what a concept. <laughs> I treat them like professionals. 
And like, hey, if you want to continue to have a seat at my table, then you're going to work hard. You're going to have excellence, right? Because that's one of our core values is unwavering excellence. And if you show up and you sort of half-ass it, well, you're not going to have a seat at the table for very long. But hey, you can make that choice and that's okay with me. <laughs> you know, I'll just find somebody who has that skill set who shows up in excellence. And then I don't have to micromanage. So it's really special, MK, that we have this uh, team chat platform like a Slack, but it's something different. And I don't mandate this whatsoever. They do this on their own, but every morning my team says, good morning guys. Hi, you know, oh, this is what happened last night, sharing pictures of their family. Like they're, they're getting along because this is a delightful place for them to be and to share. And I love it. Uh, you'll see throughout the day going on a wellness walk. I'll be back in an hour. Cool. I don't care. Do whatever you want. Somebody's not working on Thursday, but they're going to work on Sunday instead. Cool. I don't care. That's fine. So again, it's it, my leadership style as it relates to team is just do right by people, right. you know, trust in people, allow them to surprise you, take care of them, show that you're consistent. You can be trusted and actually it works really well. So, um, really mature approach, I think, to leadership. I don't know that, I don't know that. <laughs> Uh, that it's widely adopted uh, in industry. No. <laughs> why, why do you think people lose the focus on um, what's clear for you, which is, uh, you know, let your people thrive, help them to thrive. Uh, why do you think uh, some leaders lose focus on that? Or actually, I shouldn't say lose focus. Sometimes they never even have focus on a thing about taking care of people and making sure that the people are, are well and, and engaged and thriving and doing the things that you hired them to do. Why is it so hard? Well, there's probably something about that's just the way they were taught. You know, maybe they were in an environment where somebody else was the manager that way, and that's just all they knew. And they, they're, they'd never been exposed to anything else. Um, so that's one camp. I think the rest, though, is it comes down to fear and control, which really comes down to fear, right? Fear is at the bedrock of everything. If I, you know, if I have fear in my heart, then... I might, you know, operate from this place of like, you need to do a certain thing so that I look good because I'm afraid of what happens if I lose my status, or I need you to act in a certain way because I need to control it. Otherwise you might leave. And then that's going to be an inconvenience for me or whatever the, the dialogue is internally. But, um, fear is a big driver and it kind of starts at the very top. Nothing you haven't thought of or heard of before, but if it's a fear-driven organization, that trickles all the way down. And, um, you know, I just, I want nothing to do with that, MK. Like, I want to live in a place of trust and abundance and love and respect. And therefore, since I'm at the top, that's the environment that I have created for my team, for my family, for my friends, for my relationships, everywhere else around me, because that's what I that's the experience I choose to have in this life. And everybody has that choice. You see people that come from the most ugliest situations in childhood. They adopt a positive mindset or this abundant mindset, this love and compassion. Everybody has that choice. Even the people that are going to completely disagree with me right now. Everybody has a choice. I don't know that a ton of people will disagree with it. With it. I, I mean, I, Somebody will. Well, maybe they'll comment and share uh, when, when this podcast is released. Maybe. 
I bet. <laughs> say that they don't buy into it. Uh, I buy into it. And I certainly believe that people sort of set their own uh, destiny as it relates to the attitude and sort of their perception around uh, how they uh, how they come into and, and enjoy this life that we all have. Um, you said something really important a couple of minutes ago about core values. Uh, are the core values of your company a representation of your core values? And as such, is the company really you? Or mm. is it something else like these ideas that you gravitate towards that you think are supposed to be, uh, you know, what the company is supposed to be? That's a really, really powerful question. So I thought I had my core values until I met Darius Mershazadeh, who wrote a book called The Core Value Equation. And I met him about three years ago. And Darius comes into call because he's looking to hire me to launch his book. And he, you know, was a referral. And he said, Amber, what are your core values? And I said, oh yeah, let me look for them. They're somewhere in my hard drive. Uh, gosh, I can't find the folder where my core values are. <laughs> Let's click. You should have seen the look on this guy's face. Uh, he's a dear friend now, but he said, see exactly. Everybody is they like, they're so full of it when it comes to their core values. They say like, oh, honesty and integrity and communication, like all the standard ones. He's like, but it's not real. And you don't even have them memorized anyway. So he's like, that's problem number one. Anyway, get his book, The Core Value Equation. It took me through a very simple process where I put all of my personal values up on a whiteboard. And this was like a 30 minute exercise. I started to group them together, you know, cut ones that weren't as important as others. And then all of a sudden I landed on my core values, um, which are meaningful connection, better together, lean in, deeply fulfilled and unwavering excellence. And that's what I narrowed it down to. And I just knew in that moment, MK, that those were my personal core values and my company core values, period, end of story. I didn't want to overcomplicate it by kind of segmenting out. And I want to do business and life with people that align with my core values, right? So when I rolled these out to the company, it took about a six month rollout. And then all of a sudden, like the team adopted the core values and some that weren't in exact alignment for whatever reason, we didn't know it, they shifted out just naturally. It was so interesting to observe. And now my team is 100% in alignment with my core values. And it is like chilling. It gives me chills when we're having conversations, when we're brainstorming, when we're executing, it is like this energy that I, I didn't even know existed. And when your company has aligned core values, then you start attracting in clients that align with those core values. Then it's exponential, the energy behind that. Then you add on strategic partnerships, you add in following, you add in the world as much as you can into that core values. And it's like, I'm at this place with it where it's just so fascinating. I never knew life could feel this amazing. Genuinely. I'm human like everybody. I have challenges like everybody, but I'm telling you, I never knew it could be this amazing ever. And I believe that a lot of that stems from just really being in alignment with my core values. So I'm a huge advocate of them. I don't know that there should be a difference as a CEO as to your personal versus your business. To me, it's an extension of the exact same thing. Um, yeah. And that works well for well, me. I, I mean, I certainly ask you that because as a, as a founder, 
um, one of the things that I suspect is a, the joy of being a founder is that you actually get to lay the foundation of what the culture of the organization is going to be. And that culture is in all likelihood a reflection of the leadership of the enterprise, right? It's, it, it doesn't okay. just come out of nowhere. It's, it has to be an amplification of your values. Um, so I, that's as I suspect it. So, um, how do you look, how do you look at, you know, um, nurturing people and actually developing leaders. Again, you, your, your experience sounds like it's been amazing and you've developed into a, a mature leader, hopefully a continual student though, in the leadership uh, process. How do you think about developing uh, people that you bring on board who maybe haven't had the kind of experience that you have, like how much time do you spend um, or, or allocate to that, that kind of professional development with people? Hmm. That's a great question. I don't know that I've ever measured it, which I think is a good answer, right? I mean, it's not like, whoa, I, I spend exactly 2.75 hours every week on it, MK. <laughs> and this is my program for it. I think that it's just a natural part of who I am to nurture people. Um, I think that comes from really being present with people. For example, I just had a conversation with a girl on my team earlier this day. And literally nothing else in the entire world mattered in that moment other than our relationship and our connection and making her feel this powerful presence that's really important so as a leader i'm not over here like i'm on my phone i'm interrupting her i'm sort of half listening i'm multitasking i want her to feel like she's the most important person in my life in that moment because she is and so I think that alone does a lot to develop people's trust and their desire to go above and beyond to continue that relationship forward. Um, I've, I'm always doing things like buying books for the team. I have reimbursement programs. I bring in guest speakers, but there's no rigidity to it. It's just when I meet somebody powerful, and I think you got to come in, come in right now, right now, talk to my team. They got to know what you just told me. Sure. <laughs> It's very much this like gut instinct of what to do and when. And I also have this deep empathy. I'm, I'm very much a highly sensitive person. I can feel a lot of things. So out of nowhere, I'll just feel a little bit of a distance with somebody and I'll think something's going on with her. I got to check in with her and then I will. And guess what? Oh yeah, this is what's going on. We resolve it. They, she feels good, feels supported, heard, seen, valued. We move on. So it's just a very much in the moment kind of thing for me. Do you have a uh, do you have a mentor or what what I like to call that personal board of advisors that you turn to? Not necessarily, believe it or not. I've I've tried over the years. I've hired fancy coaches and fancy mentors. I've had boards. I've had friends. I've had masterminds. Like I've dabbled in it. And what I've learned is that I really do know myself in this business better than anybody. And I think I get into trouble as a leader when I start paying attention to the outside world too much. You know, when I start following other people on social media too much, it'll start to make me feel off kilter. Something's wrong or I don't believe yeah. in myself as much. And when I'm, I'm around other mentors, um, it can be so subtle, but like I, there was somebody very significant in my life that I, I had on board for about two and a half years. I had no idea how much this person got me off course, wasn't even aware of it because it was so subtle every day. And now looking back, I thought, dang it, <laughs> shoot, don't do that again. So, um, 
Yes, and to a point at a at a healthy distance, probably. Okay. Uh, do you see value in um, maybe not for you at this point in your career, but for others in terms of having mentors? And actually, what I'm driving at is um, you, you describe your your early childhood as something which I think is maybe a complete opposite as to how you've evolved as um, as an adult. And I'm interested in terms of whether or not you individually made that change for yourself or whether or not there was someone who sort of planted a seed and then nudged you in a particular direction. Yeah, great question. Um, I absolutely see 100% value in mentorship. So please don't misunderstand. Yeah. I think that the difference is now that I'm thinking about it is that I find mentorship everywhere, not just in one person. Mm -hmm. I was just on the phone with a client before this podcast, and she was telling me something about her. Are you there? Yep, I'm here. I think my power like just flickered. <laughs> I have a bad storm that's happening, so hopefully you can edit that out. Don't worry about it. Um, so with this client, and she was telling me about a challenge that she was having and how she overcame it. And in that moment, what she said really resonated with me and helped me think through a challenge that I'm having on the side. I didn't tell her that, but she indirectly helped me through something that I was experiencing. I find learning in every moment. So that's probably for me, um, as long as I'm aware of that and have that intent, you know, then that works for me, but somebody else may not find as much value, especially if you're not surrounding yourself with really high caliber people. Like, I love that saying that you should be the poorest person in the room or the least knowledgeable person in the room. That is kind of how I like to live my life. Therefore, I'm always learning from somebody at some point. Um, and then last I would say is that when I was 16 and hit that rock bottom, there were definitely a lot of people that had planted seeds along the way, especially and foremost, my mom, I would say. But in that moment, I was the only one that could make the decision and get myself out of that pit. And it was very hard and it was very painful. And I, I didn't even know that I was going to be able to pull it off, but I did. And um, that's now happened twice in my life, those really deep, dark valleys. So I think when you're in one of those, you have to get yourself out of it, but there are mentors all around you if you just open your eyes to it. So um, your team, uh, all based in the continental US, uh, are you guys global? What's the, what's the footprint? Global, my first hire ever was this designer in Cape Town, South Africa, and she's still my designer today. <laughs> So we just have a beautiful lifelong friendship and relationship. Mostly it was in the US MK. Um, then it started bleeding a little bit into Canada and then one in Mexico and then one in Portugal and then one in the Philippines. And it just sort of naturally unfolded that way. I'm more interested in um, somebody being all in with their presence and operating at excellence as opposed to location. I would so um, is it safe to say then in uh, remote environment. How long have you been operating uh, that way? Pre-pandemic, were you Especially always remote. always remote? Fifteen years. Wow. Yeah. So you you were you were yeah, ahead you were ahead of the curve then. 
you were ahead of the curve. I was, <laughs> I was when 2020 hit, I thought, yep, just another Tuesday. What's going on? Like I've already been on zoom for five years and this is like, I already know this world. This is the world that I live in. And it was a significant learning curve for a lot of people, but to me, just another Tuesday. So that, that, this leads me to the, the idea, you know, I, I've always been a firm believer that, you know, team dynamics, building teams requires some kind of like, you know, in-person um, value add contact, at least initially to get people all pointed in the right direction. Sounds like you've been building teams virtually for the entirety of your um, uh, leadership career. Uh, how have you, how have you been able to build in and sort of make sure that you weave in things like the culture fit things like, Hey, here are the core values of our operation. How you, how have you been able to seed that? Is it just in the daily actions or are there other ways that you sort of think about making sure that you're having those touch points with your people and making sure that the culture is consistent around the organization? Good question. I mean, honestly, MK, I think I just am a very good read of people. And I have to credit the first dark years of my life for being that observer. It is definitely a super talent of mine. When I'm sitting in front of somebody, I can very, very quickly see the truth of who they are, even beneath their armor and their avoidance and they're trying to get the job or whatever it is. I see right through that. <laughs> um, and if you really look into and study empathy, then it's that. I mean, it, it's a trait of being uh, like sensitive and empathetic and emotional, right? And there's a flip side to those gifts, by the yeah. way, that's less desirable. High, but... high, highly, highly sensing, right? Which also means, you know, um, sometimes oh probably gosh. volatile. <laughs> Yeah, it, it just depends. Like I get super sensitive to light and sounds and that's not very fun to be around somebody like that sometimes. Like when I'm stressed, it is volatile, right? Yeah. It's like, I just get kind of like glitchy, reactive, yeah. you know? Um, but knowing these things, I can control my environment and stress to never feel that way, which is what I do. Um, but all to say, when I'm in an interview, I already know the core values. I know when I'm in front of somebody where I'm like, oh yeah, I like her or I like him. Like you're my people. Mm -hmm. That's a great hire. Um, I want it to be somebody that I really enjoy being around first. That's more important to me than anything, because I can teach you how to build a website. I can teach you how to launch a book. I can't teach you how to be a good person. Like you kind of have to come in with that. <laughs> um, I can try to influence you to be an even better person, but there's, there's a foundation there that has to be in place. Where I got into trouble MK was um, when 2020 hit, my business boomed. I mean, I grew 85% that year. The next year boomed again, another 85%. We hit the Inc 5000 list, one of the fastest growing companies in America, one of the top in the, in the advertising marketing space, all good stuff, right? Well, I had to backfill employment to pull off the workload. And then it got to this critical point where I had leaders doing the interviews and the hiring. So I was no longer the sole person hiring, which means that my empathetic, sensitive mm -hmm. nature wasn't able to really quickly read somebody, which then means that there was a group of people that snuck in through the side door that were totally toxic and really created a lot of damage. 
And it took me probably six to eight years to come back from the damage that was done. Sorry, six to eight months to come back from the damage that was done. And I learned a very, very powerful lesson in that. Um, it actually got me to the point of really reevaluating like, interesting, where did I go off alignment? Oh, I never wanted to have a big team. And even somebody on my team was the one that reminded me of that. She said, Amber, I was always surprised that you were growing like this because you never, you said you never wanted a big team. Right. <laughs> and I didn't, which is why I scaled back down and ironically was able to produce the exact same amount of revenue, more profit, smaller team, and I could control the culture. So learning lessons, man. No, I, and, and I think there's been some work and research done on uh, the size of teams and, and the point at which uh, highly influenced leaders like yourself may, may lose control of the actual culture. Uh, and as you described, there's some benefit to actually keeping it small as opposed to um, growing uh, excessively because then you just lose control of the whole um, proposition. Yes, and it, it really forced me into the set of constraints which allowed me to create a different way forward. How could I scale how could I scale impact and profit without growing my team at all? In fact, how could I even do that with shrinking my team again, which is an exercise I just went through three months ago. So I'm cutting my team in half again, now placing those individuals with other organizations. So it's very conscious, very healthy. I'm, but I'm just saying that I'm really challenging what's necessary in order to fulfill in my vision. And it's a really fun game I'm playing with myself right now. <laughs> so um, I've been uh, asking all of my guests uh, their thoughts around, um, you know, the original uh, question around whether leaders are born or made. Uh, I don't want to uh, hesitate a guess at what you might respond to that question, but what do you think about sort of building leaders from, from zero ground up as opposed to them being born? Wow, that's a really great question. Um, I mean, definitely, I felt like I was a made leader. Um, and perhaps I was born with some sort of, you know, hidden or buried skill set that needed to be mined and needed to be nurtured and built upon. So maybe it's somewhere in the middle. I, I'm not sure. But I know that there are plenty of people around us that are trying to guide us and help us to grow and develop. And if we listen to that, if we trust, if we keep taking action, if we keep choosing to heal our traumas and our wounds and keep leaning in and moving forward, you know, I think that's the stuff. It's the life growth that helps us to become the best leaders more so than the textbook on leadership probably. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, probably made MK. I don't know. <laughs> I, think I, think, I want to know your answer. Uh, have you answered that on a podcast? I, I, I have. And it's, uh, I, I think that leaders, I'll do it again. <laughs> I, I think that leaders are made, uh, absolutely. Uh, okay. but I, but I also believe that, um, uh, maybe it's a combination and confluence of factors, all of which, um, culminate in someone who becomes an effective leader. And I definitely think there are seeds that our planet early um, uh, for folks, whether it be, you know, kind words of a parent, a counselor, a coach, or somebody that convinces that person that uh, there is a possibility that they could become a leader. And I think that those seeds are planted really early. 
Um, I don't, I don't think there's anyone who's just born to lead. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I know that there are some people that actually do um, believe that there's just some people that come out of the womb and they're just ready to, <laughs> ready, ready to rock and roll. I just think that the, you know, the, the building on experiences, um, uh, some characteristics that you certainly bring to the table. I mean, uh, it, as you describe, you can't make someone uh, or teach someone to become a nice person, right? Things like uh, character that start when you're really young, those things have to have to be sustainable and they have to be able to survive your life's experiences. So. Yes, sir. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Um, so I, I want to uh, spend the last couple of minutes talking a little bit about um, uh, how you uh, feel about being a woman leader, uh, uh, you know, female leader in the space that you're in, uh, you know, marketing, advertising, there's probably a fair number of, um, uh, of females leading in the, in, in that particular vertical within business industry, but what's your experience been like, uh, being CEO, uh, of your own company? Have you had or experienced any challenges that you think have been, uh, you know, takeaways for you and like, you know, little nuggets that you, that you take away from the experience of being a woman leader? Sure. I mean, honestly, MK, it's not anything that I chose to spend too much time looking mm -hmm. at, but um, I will say that when I started in the internet marketing world, it was a man's world. And in many ways, it was for most of my career. There are a lot of internet marketers that are sort of, there's like a guy's club. And I just watched that as soon as a uh, new kind of up and comer went into the guys club, man, that person was like an overnight millionaire and just rode on the success of, you know, all that had stood before him. And I would watch that. And for the first, you know, seven to 10 years of my career, MK, I just thought, all I want is a seat at the table. I want a seat at the table. And I worked extremely hard to have a seat at the table. And then as soon as I got a seat at the table, I thought, I don't even want to be at this table. I want to make, make my your own, own table. table. <laughs> I love it. Which is so funny, right? I mean, man, woman, whatever. It's it's what I think is part of the human journey, right? We feel like we're on the outside of something and we fight our way in and then we realize it was something different than we always thought. Yeah. Um, so that's probably why I've not looked at the man versus woman thing, but I can tell you that I've, I have watched a lot of men rise up. I have been a contributor into business plan, watching them rise up. And I just know that it is, it's different for women. And I think that's okay. And it's not something that has to be looked at in a very negative light. I think that the invitation for women is to not try to be like a man, right? The invitation is to understand your unique gifts and skill set and triple down on that and then stop looking at man versus woman because it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. I'm a big promoter of collaboration. I think that when man and woman come together to create a powerful collective and a collaboration, that's it's in the outcome that matters. But to me, um, I can say, yeah, I had some challenges and I still do and it's okay. And I don't pay attention to it and I'm going to do my great work in the world. And I hope that other women follow suit and can just trust themselves and stay in their lane and focus on their outcomes. Love it. Um, how can folks find you if they're interested in, uh, you know, uh, learning a little bit more about no guts, no glory enterprises. 
you should look into it because it's an awesome place to be. <laughs> um, I'm all over Google though. You can't find me. So Amber Villahauer, I think even Amber V just gets you there or NGNG. Um, I'm all over YouTube. I love giving away the farm just for free upfront. So anywhere that you go, you're going to find valuable content. And I'm not the person that's like, I got to get you in my funnel to do the tripwire and the upsell and the other thing. It's like, if you want to have a conversation, let's just have a conversation. It'll be really easy. <laughs> well, I love it. I, I love your energy. Uh, and I certainly love uh, the, you, the confidence you bring to the table as a leader. I think that's important. Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation, uh, Amber. Thank you for your time and thanks you for joining well. me on the, uh, the Leadership yeah. Student Podcast. Hey folks, that's it for this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast. We'll see you next time. And please, when this episode is released, like, comment, and share. And be sure to follow uh, the LinkedIn uh, Leadership Student Newsletter, uh, which is released monthly. Thanks for your time and we'll see you guys next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to the ITSB Magazine YouTube channel, and share the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations, and our audience, visit itsbmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.